Well, we are learning about Jesus by going through the book of Luke. And in between the events of his birth and his final death and resurrection, you basically have a series of personal encounters between Jesus and real people. So that you don't need to wonder, what's he like? What does he think? And how would he relate to me if he were here today? Oh, what you're going to see today is that Jesus encounters two people at the same party. Two people at the same party that are set in stark contrast to each other in a way that helps us understand the difference between spiritual interest or curiosity about Jesus and true salvation or faith in Jesus. Because I hope you realize it is only faith in Jesus that will change the direction of your life and the condition of your heart before a holy God forever. So turn to Luke chapter 7. Turn to Luke chapter 7 and see if you can find yourself in this passage as I read it beginning in verse 36. Luke chapter 7 verse 36. Find it, put your finger there and then look back up. Because I want to give you some cultural background and context before I read it that will help you understand what's going on. In that day, someone like Simon, we're going to be reading about Simon, was a part of the cultural elite. He would have had a large home that would have had a large open courtyard. Because this is a region of the country that's hot all the time. You don't want to eat your meals inside, outside as often as possible, especially if it's a large event. So he would have had an outdoor courtyard. And it was not awkward or odd at all for people from the town to show up uninvited. And just hang around the edge of this event and listen to the conversation. In that day, it was also customary and it was a courtesy, hospitality. As someone entered your home as an invited guest, you would have washed their feet. You would have greeted them with a kiss on the cheek. And you would have anointed their head with oil. Things are so dry there. And then keep in mind, when you, when you read this, when you see this passage where she's at his feet, weeping at his feet, they didn't sit under the table. She's not under the table. They would lie on their side, leaning on one arm, feet outstretched towards the exterior walls of the room, and take food from a low table in the middle. This is the context as you see this encounter with Jesus and these two people. So now follow along. Beginning in verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him. Oh, I love this. You're gonna, you see this more than once in the Gospels. Uh, it says, Jesus answering him. 
Simon didn't say anything to him, but he thought it. You know, awkward. You know, you could be sitting with a friend at lunch like, I hate her dress. That is so dumb. And she says, let me tell you why I bought this and why it's special to me. That would be awkward, wouldn't it? She knows what I was thinking. He knows what you're thinking. Jesus answering him. This had to surprise him. Said, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, that's another thing. Watching the gospel, whenever Jesus says, I have something to say to you, buckle up. I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Now he tells a parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman. I like this also. So picture this. He's been telling the parable to Simon and all the guests. Then turning toward the woman. Jesus is looking at the woman, but talking to Simon now. Then turning towards the woman. He said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little Loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this that even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Oh, what can we learn from this party and these two people that are so different? Here's the first thing I want you to get. Number one, the way you see yourself will determine how you approach and see Jesus. Oh, don't hear what I'm not saying. Jesus is who he is. We don't get to shape him and make him into what we want. But stay with me. Your ability to see him for who he is is directly related to who you think you are. So what are you talking about, Brad? I hope you realize that as human beings, we carry around opinions of ourselves, evaluations of ourselves that shape the way you see the world and everyone around you. You don't actually, let me help you, you don't actually live life Seeing what is. You live life and I live life perceiving what you think things are based on your filters. I don't need to go into details. The year we just had, hello. That's why two people can be in the same setting and see things so differently. And each one thinks I'm looking at the facts. I see the facts. What is their problem? If they saw the facts, they wouldn't think that. 
The other person was thinking the exact same thing. I am doing nothing but looking at the facts. What is wrong with everybody? Let me help you. Nobody actually just looks at the facts. You look at facts through your filters. And one of the most influential, mind-altering, world-shaping filter is your opinion of yourself. So now look at verse 37 and 39. Because there's a key word in these two verses. There's a key word in these two verses that sets up this passage. In fact, without this word, there's no punch to this passage. Do you see the word? Say it. What is it? Oh, that was sad. Say it louder. Say it like you just might be one. Sinner. Look at verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a... Say it. Sinner. Look at the end of verse 39. Simon said to himself, she is a sinner. So I'm going to stop right here now. Before we go any further. Because right now, all over this room, and people listening online, there are people thinking and feeling something very different. About this word. So I want you to get a hold of it. I don't want it to be fuzzy. Right now I want you to think. What are you thinking and feeling about this word sinner? Does it fit into your life at all? Or does it just describe other people around you? Sinner. You see, the way you answer this question makes all the difference in how you relate to God and other people around you. Oh, it changes your vertical relationship with God and it dictates and shapes your horizontal relationship with other people. Have you come to the point yet in your life where you see yourself as a Sinner. Not just a pretty good man or woman who occasionally sins. See, be careful. You're probably thinking, uh, so I've got sin in the equation somewhere, but I'm not talking about sin as parsley on the side of your plate. Oh, I know I sin, but no, no, no. I am a sinner, period. No qualifications, no addendums. Have you come to the point yet? Where you see yourself as a sinner. There's a big difference between I'm a pretty good man or woman who occasionally sins. Of course I sin. But, and I am a sinner. I've been a pastor 35 years, you guys. And here's something that I've heard dozens of times, whether it was in a small group. I mean, we've led small group for 25 years. Think about all the people we've had in our home at close range with conversations. Think about how many meetings I've had in lunches and all that where I've been in the conversation. Here's what I've heard so many times. I grew up in church or I grew up in a Christian home or I went to Christian school or. And I knew. I knew about sin. And I knew that Jesus died for sinners, but, and then what comes next varies in dozens of ways. It wasn't until, and then they describe some event. It might be a health crisis. It might be a financial crisis. It might, 
I'll give you a really unusual one. It doesn't have to be something heinous. I'll never forget this young woman shared it in a small group. And just said, here was the breakthrough for her. And you're going to laugh, but this, this did it for her. She said, I was on my way home from church with my husband, and I was thirsty. I wanted him to stop and let me get a drink, and he would not. And the rage that rose up in me, I realized if I could, I would kill him. That's how, that's how angry I am at him right now. You guys, for her, she'd never done anything heinous. That was the breakthrough. She's like, and I realized for the first time ever, oh, I am a sinner, me. Now, here's why this matters. It just changed her life. It put her on a new trajectory. For the first time, she understood why grace is amazing. For the first time, Jesus was not a historical figure that she acknowledged. He was her savior, and she knew she needed one because she knew she, not other people, was a sinner. Not just, I know there's big bad sinners out there somewhere doing bad things that need a savior. Me, me, me. If it not for the grace of God, I could go off the rails and I have the capacity to do any and everything. Sinner, sinner, sinner. There are a lot of you sitting here today, you're in church, but you're just like Simon. You know there are sins out there somewhere being committed by sinners. The news reminds us regularly. But you don't see yourself in that category. You don't. It really hasn't come home to you yet that you are a sinner in need of a savior. Simon didn't think he was a sinner. Therefore, he didn't see his need for a savior. But, and don't be fooled by the fact that he's invited Jesus into his home. He has invited Jesus into his home, but he certainly has not invited Jesus into his heart. He's opened his home. He hasn't opened his heart or bowed his knee to Jesus as Savior. He was civil. Granted, he's civil and savvy enough to be curious about Jesus. No doubt. Curious about Jesus. But his approach to Jesus, you can see it as we read it. His approach to Jesus is aloof, guarded, and intellectual. Did you know you could be curious about Jesus? You don't have to deny he ever existed. In fact, you'd be really stupid to do so. He existed. The question is... Who was he? And what did he do for us? And a lot of those questions are dictated. The answer is determined by who you think you are and what you think you need. You won't even see who he is and you won't even understand what he did if you don't first know your own true condition as a sinner. You can be curious about Jesus and still not be saved by Jesus. A lot of people are curious. That's why... Jesus still graces the cover of so many magazines and books year after year after year after year. Yes, people are curious. Yes, he's the most interesting individual who ever lived. Yes, yes. But curiosity and civility won't save you. 
Most, and most likely, Simon, we got this going on today. Simon is just a collector of celebrities, right? News about Jesus is ripping around the region. He has caused such a stir in Galilee, right? I'd like to have him at my next party. That'd be fun. I want to see him up close and I will. People think, you had Jesus at your party? He's a collector of celebrities. But Simon's opinion of himself kept him from seeing Jesus from seeing Jesus for who he is and from experiencing what Jesus came to do. Save us. Not entertain us. Not amuse us. Not give us some intellectual fodder to chew on and think about. Save us. But you won't even see the need or be interested if you don't start with who are you? What's your condition? What's your opinion of yourself? And I know we live in a day that's not a good day for this. We have drummed into us over and over and over by the culture. People are basically good. You see it in movies over and over. You read it in books over and over. If you go for counseling that's not biblical, they'll tell you over and over. You're basically good. You're basically good. You're basically good. That is basically so not true. Where does all this badness come from? People. It's not the environment that made you anything. We are born sinners in desperate need of a savior. And given enough time, we demonstrate it. Some are more careful and their sins are private and hidden. Others, their sins are more public and shocking. But the condition of each person is still the same. And the need for a savior is the same. The same. What about you? How many Simons do we have here today or listening online? Oh, listen to me. Simon's real problem is a problem that still exists today. His real problem is spiritual blindness. Because here's what it does. Spiritual blindness causes you to not even be able to see yourself, other people, or Jesus the way God sees all three. You'll perceive yourself wrong, other people wrong, and Jesus wrong because of spiritual blindness. We already know what God the Father thinks. In Luke chapter 3, at his baptism, the heavens opened and a booming voice said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But if you don't see yourself as a sinner, you won't see the need for what God offers us in his beloved Son. You may lay hold of Jesus and add him to your party, add him to the fringes of your life, acknowledge that he exists, but that's not salvation. And you may see him as giving you a booster shot that helps you continue to do what you were already doing pretty good before him. Let me show you something else we can learn. Number two. The way you see yourself will determine what you think your biggest problem is. Oh, I love how Jesus knows what Simon is thinking. So he says to him in verse 40, Simon, I have something to say to you. And then he heads into a parable. All right, don't don't get confused. The passage is about real people. Simon is real. The party's real. This woman's real. But now he's going to tell a parable. And also remember, we had a whole summer where we did parables. Remember what I said? Parable is not... 
Oh, story time with Uncle Jesus. A little comforting story to go night, night. Oh, my goodness. When Jesus told a parable, it was because he recognizes, Oh, you are so not thinking what you should be thinking. You are so wrong and off on this that it's time to tell a parable. A parable was meant to be a kick in the head, a stomach punch that would turn and shake conventional human thinking and saying, what you are thinking, no, not at all. That's when he would tell a parable. So here he goes in verses 41 to 43. And he says, there's a guy that owes 50 denarii and a guy that owes 500 denarii. Let me help you. A denarius was one day's wage. So we got somebody that owes about two months worth of income. And we got somebody that owes about a year and a half worth of income. Big difference. Big difference. One man is being forgiven a debt that is ten times bigger than the other. And Jesus does want you to feel that. But do not miss the point. The point is not that some people have a longer, darker rap sheet of sin and really need a savior. That's not the point of the parable at all. Jesus wants us to understand. He is not focusing on the amount of sin. He is wanting you to think about your, the awareness of your own sin. Not the amount. Awareness of it. Awareness of it. You see, unlike Simon, Jesus does not see just one sinner at the party. He sees a room full of sinners, including the highly esteemed, well-spoken of, outwardly moral, I've never done super bad things, church-going Simon. See, Simon was guilty of the quiet sins of pride And self-righteousness. While the woman was guilty of public, loud, shocking, and shameful sins of the flesh. That were widely known all over the city. She was most likely a prostitute, you guys. That's why verse 37 says, a woman of the city. A streetwalker. A woman of the city. Whose reputation would have been widely known. See, Simon's sins were hidden to everyone but God, the one who actually matters, while hers were well known. But here's the point of the parable both, both the man who owes 50 and the man who owes 10 times more are spiritually bankrupt and cannot. Pay their sin debt to a holy God. That's the point. Look at verse 42 again. Look at verse 42. And when they could not pay. The man who owes 50 can't pay. The man who owes 500 can't pay. When they could not pay. Uh, you, think it's, you think it's a pain having creditors call your house because you, you got a bill you owe? Oh, this was a very different day, much harder. When you owed money and could not pay, 
You were judged and thrown into debtor's prison regardless of the amount. So what Jesus is pressing is, it doesn't matter whether you think your sin's little or whether your sin is and, and hidden or whether your sin is huge and widely known. You are both spiritually bankrupt and cannot pay your sin debt to a holy God. Both are in desperate need. Both will land in hell apart from the grace and mercy of God that's found in his son, Jesus Christ. And don't make a mistake. Simon does not have an advantage here because his sin is, quote, smaller and hidden. Simon is the one at greater risk. Because he just doesn't see his sin debt against the holy God. Do you realize, don't hear me saying don't raise your kids in church, you guys, and don't teach them. There can be a huge disadvantage to having always been taught, who have been, been having restrained by parents, and that you haven't done horrible things. You haven't snorted cocaine yet. You haven't had sex all over the world. You haven't, you haven't, you haven't, you haven't. And therefore, very often, you don't think you're a sinner. You would never say it out loud. But you've just kind of gone along with this, like, yeah, whatever, Jesus is a Savior, and they're sinners, and nah. You're at greater risk. If you have never had this moment, I don't care if it's like because you wanted to kill someone for a drink or something worse. If you have not been struck yet with, oh, oh, I am a sinner in need of a savior. Both are bankrupt. Both cannot pay their debt. See, self-righteousness blinds you. And keeps you from seeing the ugliness of your own sin and the holiness of your God that you will stand before. Think about it. Both Simon and the woman, right? You think, oh, if I could just see Jesus. Both Simon and the woman see Jesus. Oh, if I could just be in a setting at close range. They're both in a party at close range. They're both listening to him. Remember I told you, What you think about yourself will shape and affect your ability to see him for who he is. Simon is at this party with Jesus at close range, in his presence, listening to him talk. But Simon is detached and cool, simply critiquing Jesus and holding Jesus up to his standard of morality. If this man knew who she was, who this was touching, he's so busy critiquing And judging Jesus and holding Jesus up to his own standard. While the woman, the woman is completely undone. And unashamed in the presence of Jesus who she knows has given her what she could never achieve on her own. Forgiveness of her sins and right standing with a holy, holy God. And so Simon cleans up the party and goes to bed unchanged, condemned, confused, miffed, and probably even a little angry. While the woman leaves rejoicing and filled with joy for the free gift of salvation. 
And that leads to my final point. Number three, when you see yourself accurately, you will love Jesus passionately. I know we got different personalities. Some are ones and sevens and nines. Some are aardvarks and golden retrievers and beavers and whatever test you want to take. I do not care. But whatever your most frothy, energetic, passionate mode is, it ought to show up regarding Jesus. If you say, this is me wide open, dude. Mm. Okay, bring it. I mean, when you see yourself accurately, you will love Jesus passionately, passionately, passionately. When you know you're a sinner who has a savior that has wiped out your sin debt, not some of it, but all of it in a way that it will never come back to haunt you or come down on you again. Nobody has to say to you, oh, you ought to worship. Oh, lift your hands, be emotional, be grateful. You are, you are, you are, you are. When you know who you are, who he is, and what he's done for you, you are undone and unashamed. That's what you see happening to this woman in this party. She knew she was a sinner who had a sin debt she could never pay, that had been forgiven by a merciful Savior, and so she fell apart in his presence You guys, I'm convinced she did not go to this party intending to weep on his feet, intending to unloose her hair and wipe his feet with her hair, intending to kiss his feet over and over and over. She went to the party intending to anoint his feet with expensive perfume, which is radical, but still very dignified. And when she got in his presence, She was overwhelmed in thinking about what he'd done for her. And that all went out the window. The Greek word right there in verse 38 for kiss means to kiss over and over and over fervently. In the Greek language, they have a preposition. They stick on the front of a verb to intensify it. It's the word kata. It's got kata there. This is not your normal obligatory kiss as someone comes into your home. This was over and over and fervently and not in a sexual or sensual way at all. It was passionate and heartfelt. Oh, what a contrast between Simon and this woman. He's so busy scrutinizing and judging both the Savior and this woman. Picking them apart. While the woman is falling apart in the presence of her Savior. What about you? How do you spend most of your time? Are you busy judging and condemning and picking apart Jesus and other people? Or have you been undone by the mercy of And grace of Jesus that also moves you to extend that same grace and mercy to others. Let me help you here. 
What we're talking about right here is the heart and soul of Christianity. You're going to see as we go through the Gospels, there'll be times that the leaders will shout out and say, Jesus, just boil it down, bottom line it. What is it really all about? You'll find it in Matthew 22, 37, 39. He says, you want to know what it's all about? Love the Lord your God. A little bit of love? With all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And oh, the second command's likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You guys, when you don't see yourself as a sinner and Jesus is not your savior, you will not be able to love God with all your heart and soul and you will not extend grace and mercy to other people. You can have head knowledge about Jesus. You may know your Bible. You may be serving in any number of ways. But if your mode, your standard go-to is judging, condemning, critiquing, judging, condemning, critiquing, you should pause and consider, have I been born again? When you know you're a sinner that was on your way to hell apart from your Savior, it doesn't matter what their sins are compared to your sins. It's a whole new day. You are so passionate about your Savior and you are so merciful and gracious towards others around you that make terrible mistakes. And some of that falls back on you. They sin against you, but you're able to forgive. You're able to extend mercy. You're able to extend grace. This changes how you live life. Critiquing, critiquing and condemning can be traced back almost always to a self-righteous heart that has never encountered a savior. You might have investigated Jesus You might intellectually know a lot about Jesus, but you have not encountered a Savior. Because you've never seen yourself, you, as a sinner. Sinner. But as we close, I don't want you to make a mistake here. I love the passage. I've been looking forward to getting here. It's one of my favorite places that I knew. Oh, Luke 7, please. Do you see this woman? I've been excited. But it can be confusing. So I want to explain carefully what's going on here and how her sin debt was wiped out. Look at verse 50 again. And he said to the woman, your, what? Say it again. Your faith has saved you, not any of her actions. Okay? It's unfortunate that in the English, the word for, the preposition for in verse 47, makes it sound like, Because she loves much, she's being forgiven right now in that moment. That is not what he's teaching. And it would completely invalidate the parable that he just taught. He is not saying, oh, she came in here and she loved me a lot and therefore I'll forgive her. That's not what the passage is teaching. She loves much because she has been already forgiven much. And he declares it in front of everybody. Your sins are forgiven. But what we got to conclude is this woman, this is not Jesus' first rodeo, you guys. We're in chapter 7. There's a stir. She's probably already heard him at some point. 
Because it said the sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors just chased after him. They loved to be around. Word had spread. He, he doesn't condemn you like the, the righteous Jewish religious leaders. This is different. This is different. He sits with us. He eats with us. He loves us. He has good news for us. She has already heard the gospel message and accepted it. Where and when we're not told. But her love for Jesus, her undone, unashamed worship of Jesus is not the cause of her forgiveness. It's the confirmation and evidence of it. Your faith has saved you. And when you have been forgiven and born again. You love him and you don't care who knows that you love him. Amen. That's what the passage is about. And I want you to notice the verb tense being used right there. Verse 50. It's past tense. Your faith has saved you. It's done. It's done. There's nothing else for you to do because it's, it's based on who Jesus is and not what you're trying to be or do for him or for other people that are looking down on you. And that is so, listen to me, that is so different than religion. You realize with religion, you never have a past tense because you're never sure if you've done enough. Or if you've done enough of the right things. If you're even working the right list. You're always in process. Thinking, I think I can get there. And then you always also need to puff yourself up. And, and encourage yourself. Well, look at them. Oh, glad I'm not like them. Glad I'm not like them. Oh, so glad I'm. I mean, we're going to get to another one that I'm so excited about. Probably two years from now. Luke 18. Where again. This Pharisee and this tax collector are standing in the synagogue. And one says, oh God, I am so, can you imagine this? I'm so glad I'm not like him. He points to someone else in worship and says, I'm so glad I'm not like, because I tithe and I and I. And Jesus says, this guy right here went home the same. This guy over here just beat his chest, wouldn't even lift his head and said, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, this one went home justified and right with God. Because you have to see yourself as a sinner before you'll want Jesus as a savior. She came to the party to worship him because she had already trusted in him. What about you today? What are you doing with Jesus? And how are you perceiving and treating other people around you, especially those closest to you? It all starts with a humble, honest assessment of your true condition as a sinner before God. Listen to me. Jesus and his forgiveness will never stir you until the definition sinner defines you in your own mind. Until you get there. Well, that's talking about me in a big way. I'm the worst sinner I know because I live with me. You will never be stirred by Jesus and his forgiveness until first you're defined by sinner in your own mind. Mind. Oh, come to Christ today. Some of you, Simons, sitting here, 
I'm not saying Jesus is new to you. I'm not saying you've never been in church before. I'm not even saying you've never served. I'm saying you're still Simon. Come to Christ today. And some of you, you have been out there in this dark world and been broken. And some of your sins are public and loud and shameful. And therefore, you've, you've been hesitant to come to Jesus, assuming he would judge you like some Christians sadly judge you. But I hope you realize now a bunch of those people calling themselves Christians are not. They are not. They are not reflecting Jesus. Don't take your cues from them. Look at him. He will accept you as you are. As you are. And then he'll begin to change you from the inside out. If you're Simon for the first time, look to Jesus as a savior. If you're a mess and thought he would never, ever accept you and forgive you, rethink that. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, or how public what you've done is. He'll receive you. He'll forgive you. He will begin to change the direction of your life and he will immediately change the condition of your heart into right standing before the God of the universe and will put a robe of righteousness on you that was purchased by his son. Say, thank you, Jesus. Oh my goodness. That's why, you guys, there is no other religion that has a message like this. None. Islam, you got to throw down your mat and face it towards Mecca five times a day. You got to make a trip there. I can just rattle down the list of religions. It's what you're trying to do. No other religion has a savior who took on flesh and came into this world and met us right where we are and died for us and rose again for us to freely offer you forgiveness. There's nothing like this. That's why we call it good news. But it's only good news to people who think, oh, wow, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. Put your faith in Christ and you can have a past tense. Past tense. That is who I was. That's not who I am because of whose I am now. Oh God, thank you. Thank you. Woo, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for who he is and what he did for us to solve our biggest problem. Oh, God, grip us in a fresh way. Some for the first time. Rescue some Simons. And then call to some women and men of the city who thought they could never come. Who thought you would turn them away. Who thought they would be judged and condemned like they felt from other people. Oh, draw people to yourself today. Birth them into your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name.